morning. Glad that you guys are here. If you're a first-time guest with us or we just haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Jimmy. I'm the lead pastor here at Rocky River. So glad that you guys are here with us today. If you haven't noticed already, uh, you, you will hear shortly. Uh, in the bulletin, there are no message notes today. Um, today's message is going to be all about communion. Now, I am going to say some things about communion before we share it, but um, no, no message notes. If there are some things here that you want to jot down, maybe in the edges or margins of um, your announcement sheet or the bulletins or whatever, that, that's great, but no, no message notes. Very simple message to get this year started. Um, I just want to start this year with the Lord's Supper. What do you know about the Lord's Supper? Um, there's confusion about it. And where there's not confusion, there's just, um, just a lack of understanding of what it means and what it represents. And so I want to clear up some of the confusion this morning. And I really want to start today and the new year and the new decade in a meaningful way where we just have a fresh understanding of Jesus. So let's see if we can make that happen. There's a passage of scripture I want to just read a few verses from. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to read verses 23 through 26. And again, uh, it's okay if you don't open your Bible and turn there. You can just listen along. I think the scripture passage is on the screen behind me, so you can follow along if you'd like. But more than anything else, I want you listening this morning. When, uh, when Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, they are a mess. I mean a mess. Have you ever been a part of a church that was a mess? I hope you're not saying, yeah, this church, we're a mess. <laughs> Sometimes it's messy. Most churches are somewhat messy. But, but the church at Corinth, it was a real mess. They had all sorts of problems. And they were treating the Lord's Supper with a lack of respect, they were, they were disrespectful about what the meal means or meant, meant and means, meant to them, means to us, and they were disrespectful to one another. They, they were treating the Lord's Supper like it was a, a continental breakfast. You ever stayed in a hotel where they have a continental breakfast? Those things drive me crazy. You want to know one of my pet peeves? You probably don't, but I'm going to tell you. Anyway, one of my pet peeves is that people don't know how to line up for anything anymore. That drives me crazy. We don't have a cue for things. God bless Chick-fil-A, not all of them, but at least a couple of them that, well, and I'm, it's okay, Lord blesses all of them, but I, I've been into a couple of them pretty recently where they have finally put in a cue. You know what I mean by a cue, right? A line. This is where you, I hate this free-for-all thing where there's five registers up front and everybody just picks one. It drives me crazy. I want to say, all right, you go to this one, you go to the next one, you go to this one, and I'll go to the, people, they just, 
They don't get it. And nowhere is worse to me than a continental breakfast at a hotel. The line starts where the plates are. Can I just tell you? That's where the line starts. Whether it's at a continental breakfast at a hotel or a buffet, the line starts where the plates are. Say that with me. The, no, I'm, I'm kidding. All right, en- enough, enough of that. These Corinthian Christians are treating the Lord's Supper like it's a continental breakfast. And, and then they have, they have done something that Jesus never did, nor that Paul ever taught them. You know, Paul was their church planter. Nor, nor that Paul had ever taught them to do. They developed a pecking order for where people sit and who gets what. So in these churches, and at least in these early days of the church, these are house churches, so the service is probably being held at someone's house who was maybe a, a little wealthier than others because they had a house that was big enough to fit maybe 20, 30, 40 people in it. Well, what, what they would do, at least here for a while in Corinth, is they were letting the wealthy people sit down front and the less wealthy you were, you were pushed toward the back. It's like going to a concert down here at Blockbuster, although I know it's not Blockbuster anymore, but down here at the Pavilion. You know, if you have better tickets, you get to sit up front, but the cheaper the ticket you have, the further you get pushed back until finally you're just out in the grassy section somewhere. The poor people in this house church, they were sitting on, they were in the lawn section. And have a seat down front. And then there may not be enough food to make it to everyone in the back of the room. So you might come expecting or hoping for the Lord's Supper for communion that day. But depending on how much the wealthy people or maybe the leadership in the church, depending on how much they ate, that would determine on whether or not you got any of the Lord's Supper at all. And so Paul saw the mess of this, and he came in to straighten them out. And so he, he hits them pretty hard, and he should have in, I don't know, the first few verses of this chapter. But then in, in verses 23 through 26, he, he reminds them of what the Lord's Supper is. And that's the part I want to read to you. He says, For I received from the Lord... What I also passed on to you. So Paul wasn't there when Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Passover feast, which is what we call the Lord's Supper today. He wasn't there. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. He wasn't Paul then. He was Saul. So he says, this is what I've been told. It was passed on to me from the Lord by way of other disciples. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is important here, so remember this. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then these are Paul's words because they're not read in the scriptures. They're 
They're just black. He says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what is the Lord's Supper? What does it mean? It represents four things. The first thing it is, is a simple meal. It's a simple meal. I think they had probably forgotten that in Corinth. And we need to be reminded of it as well. It's a simple meal. Jesus took bread, broke it, and handed it out. After they had eaten the bread, he took a cup. It wasn't special bread. It wasn't a special cup. It was probably wine. I'm sure it was wine. It wasn't Welch's grape juice, which is what we're going to have today. Or it may not be Welch's grape juice. It's probably whatever Walmart's version of Welch's grape juice is. But Jesus just took the normal things they would have had at a Passover meal. And he said, this is what we're going to eat. And then he gave them a different meaning. But the first thing I want you to see is that it's a simple meal. A simple meal. It's not a meal that you come to when you're hungry, like a continental breakfast. And it's a simple meal in that after I pray over it and bless it, in just a few minutes before we receive these elements, after I pray and bless them, whether it's me or whether it's a United Methodist pastor or a Lutheran pastor or a Catholic priest, after that prayer, after that blessing, it's still bread and juice. It doesn't become the body and blood of Christ. It represents the body and blood of Christ. It's amazing what the church has done with these simple elements through the years. If you, um, if you grew up in a Catholic church, and I, I didn't, but if, if you did, or if you've been to a Catholic service, uh, or maybe even a, a wedding, you've probably received communion where the priest will take the wafer, um, he may hand it to you, or he may dip it in the communion wine and then put it on your tongue. Or he may put the wafer on your tongue and then let you drink from a cup he holds and then wipes the top of it off. And that's how you receive communion. It's because at some point in the church, the church began to believe that the communion elements literally become the body and blood of Christ. So for many years, a Christian could not receive communion through the wine. They could only receive it through the bread. And the thinking of the church was, well, people are stupid. And irresponsible. If they handle the bread, at least if they drop Jesus on the floor, we can pick it back up and wipe him off. But after the juice or the wine is blessed, that becomes the blood of Jesus. And if we spill that on the floor, well, then what do we do about the blood of Jesus all over the floor? Now that began to change and... 
around 1517 with the reformation of the church. But I was, I was thinking about this just a couple of days ago. And in the Protestant church, like I grew up in a Baptist church, it's, it's amazing the things that we've done to this simple meal. And I'm sure that whether it was the Catholic church or a Baptist church like the one I grew up in, the idea was about reverence. But in, in my church, we... <laughs> We, we put the elements in really fancy trays. And the church I grew up in, we had a special table down front. The front of it said, do this in remembrance of me. And uh, we would put a, a white sheet over it. And it looked really mysterious. And it, my point is through the years, the church has done everything it can do to make it seem like it's not simple, and yet it is. It's almost like we feel like we have to make Jesus inaccessible when everything about him was about giving access to other people. But listen, it's a simple meal. It's bread, matzah bread, and... Grape juice. It's not what the elements are, it's what they represent. The body and blood of Jesus. The second thing it is, is uh, it's a memorial. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Remember what I've done for you. It's a memorial. If I'm being honest with you, I like Christmas better than Easter. I just like the season better. Um, but Easter has more meaning. And so if it comes down to what means more, it has to be Easter. If there wasn't an Easter Christmas, we wouldn't even know what that, there wouldn't be a Christmas, not the way we understand it. And Jesus never asked us to remember his birth. But he did ask us to remember his death. One of the problems that the church at Corinth was having is that the people were coming in and they were hungry. Paul says, you don't just come to the Lord's table because you're hungry. He said, eat your breakfast at home. Eat your sticky bun and have your cup of coffee at home. Don't come to church thinking, oh man, I, it's, I'm, I'm glad we're having the Lord's Supper today because I'm hungry. Trust me, when you have this little bite of cracker and this juice, it's going to make you hungry. It's, it's not about the food. It's remembering what the food represents. It represents the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. N number three, it's a new agreement or a new covenant it's a new deal. When you think about the Bible, think about the Old Testament. Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament is Old Covenant. New Testament is New Covenant. A covenant is what? It's an agreement. It's a deal. Here's how the old deal works. It's what's called a Susan Tree Treaty. A Susan Tree would be like a king or someone who's in power. In a Susan Tree treaty or agreement or deal is where this king or this 
very powerful person makes an agreement with someone who is subservient to him or her. Like where a king makes an agreement with someone who is under his authority. And the king says, I'll do this for you. You do this for me. If you don't do this for me, I won't do this for you. The best way to think about this is curfew. It's where the parent says to the son or daughter, if you do this, this, and this, you can drive the car on Friday night. If you don't do this, this, or this, then you can't drive the car on Friday night. So what does the kid say? Okay, I'll do it. Because I have to. I have no choice. If I want the car, I have to do these other things. Here's what that looked like in a sacrificial way. Under the old covenant, under the old agreement, God had told his people, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Here's how you live as my people. Here are the rules. Here are the conditions and terms. You keep these terms and conditions and I'll do this, this, and this for you. And all those rules are spelled out at least in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Let's just say Exodus, Leviticus, some of Numbers, and most of Deuteronomy. It's the sleepy part of the Bible. God says, you keep these rules. I'll take care of you and bless you. And they don't do such a good job at it. In fact, they do such a bad job, eventually, God puts the people in timeout. See, timeout is not something that parents have just come up with in the last two or three decades. God actually started timeout. He started timeout with the leaders of his people, the kings. He, he sent them all down to Babylon for about 70 years in timeout. They had a hard time keeping the rules. But even up until the time of Jesus, they were still trying to keep these rules and they would participate in this covenant agreement. And the way they renewed that agreement is each year at Passover, a family would take a lamb that they've been taking care of for probably months. They would take it to the temple in Jerusalem and the high priest would offer it up as a sacrifice. Now, that sounds a lot simpler than how it actually was because it sounds like, you know, there would have been a really tough morning at home where dad says, listen, I have to take lamb chop. If you're old enough to remember lamb chop, you're, you're at least as old as I am. Uh, kids, I have to take lamb chop over to the temple today. Everybody say goodbye. Then everybody in the family cries a little bit. Dad puts the lamb in the minivan and goes over to the temple and drops the lamb off and gives a name to it and says, this is from the Brit family. Thanks for offering the sacrifice. Everyone went for the sacrifice. And you waited your turn from the youngest to the oldest in that household. 
And you waited until you got up to the priest. And by the time you got to that priest, depending on how long that line was, and it would get really long, you would have a priest that just wanted to come up and go through the motions. He was bloody. The floor's bloody. There are huge vats in the floor where all the blood runs. It stinks. It smells in there. But you walk up to the altar. Lamb chop goes on the altar. Everybody puts a hand on the animal before the priest kills it spills out its blood, separates the pieces, and then walks through it on behalf of the people. Everybody had to put a hand on that animal to be reminded that that animal is dying for their sins. That our sins cost something. In the case of the old agreement, the old covenant, it cost that animal its life. And by the way, in those days, all agreements were made with some sort of sacrifice. Whether it was a business deal or this religious deal. And by the way, if you're sitting there thinking, see, this is just why I don't like God because he's a killer. Let me tell you something. The pagans used people for these sacrifices. God's people used animals And they used animals a little differently than we do. For them, animals were currency more than anything else. And so even if you were cutting a business deal, the way that would work out is you would take an animal, depending on what the agreement was or how much wealth the people had, but let's just say everybody that's making this, uh, this deal, the two parties, they're wealthy enough to have a lamb, You cut the lamb in half, and then both people that are making the deal, they walk through the pieces. And they walk through the the pieces to say, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, this is what will happen to me. Oh, yeah, that's a tough deal, isn't it? Have you ever heard the term, if you're in business, we cut a deal? This is where it comes from. You cut that animal apart. You both walk through the pieces. You've cut a deal. You've made an agreement. You've promised to keep your end of the bargain. That's under the old covenant. When Jesus sat down with his disciples that night that we read about in in the New Testament where he and the disciples are celebrating the Passover, Jesus says, from now on, This bread and this wine will have a new meaning. This is a new deal, a new new covenant. And this covenant was a promissory covenant. This is an agreement where one person makes a deal with the other person, and the other person has no commitment to it whatsoever. Or at least they don't have the same terms and conditions. The person who's on the receiving end doesn't begin with the promise. In other words, the person making the promise is doing this all for the benefit of the other person. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, from now on, from, from now on, it's not going to be about 
the terms and conditions the way they have been. It's not going to be about, I'll be your God and you be my people. If you do these things, if you get all of these things right, then I'll bless you and take care of you. It's like Jesus is saying, it's for you, but it's on me. And I'm going to be the animal. I'm going to be the sacrifice. I'm going to be the one who cuts the deal on your behalf. Now the question is, are there terms and conditions? There are. Next week I'm going to talk about how to move from living a a stressed life to a blessed life. We're going to talk about blessings And God offers us blessings, but there are always conditions that come with those blessings. And with this new covenant, there are terms and conditions, and here they are. John says in his gospel, in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Condition number one, believe. And then maybe Peter sums this up in in the very best way. Maybe his, his story, his life just sums it all up. Once the disciples were out fishing, Jesus comes to where they are. They've fished all night haven't caught a thing. They, they know Jesus, if not personally, they know about him. And Jesus says, hey, fellas, have you caught any fish? You, you ever ask someone that you're you walking on a pier, people are fishing, you walk up, hey, catching any fish? How, how you doing? Yeah, I caught whatever, or haven't caught anything, whatever the story is. But Jesus kind of does the same thing. Hey, how's it going? Have you guys caught any fish? No, nah, we've been out here all night, haven't caught a thing. And Jesus said, well, why don't you go back out here and try it again. Cast your nets out on the other side of the boat. And Peter, who I think is just trying to be nice, says, Lord, we've been out here all night. We haven't caught a thing. And we're fishermen. We're professionals. We do this for a living. See the name on the boat? We're tired, we just want to get a bath, eat the bread or the hush puppies and the fries that we're going to go with the fish, but now we're just going to eat the sides because we don't have any fish to go with it. Nothing to eat, nothing to sell at market. And besides, you're just a carpenter. What do you know about fishing? But okay. They go out, again, throw out their nets, this time... There's so much fish, they have to call for other boats to come and help them get all of the fish. And Peter, Peter realizes that this is not just a man. This is God. Who else could do that? And he says, move away from me. And that's what he means, move move away from me. I'm not good enough to stand anywhere near you. You're God, you're holy, and I'm not. Peter was my kind of guy. He knew he was a sinner. Just, no, stay away. 
And Jesus gave him the invitation that still stands today. He said, Peter, come and follow me. What are the terms and conditions of the new agreement, the new covenant? Believe, come and follow. And then fourth, it's look ahead. Verse 26, Paul says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, we just went through the season of Advent, right? That's the Christmas season. The season of Advent represents the coming of Jesus. When we celebrate the season of Advent as believers, we're remembering that the Messiah has already come. There's been the first Advent, but as Christians, we look ahead for the second Advent, the second return of Christ. And I think Paul is trying to give us the same reminder I want to give you guys as we start this brand new year. Jesus is coming back. He's coming again. And when he returns, he's going to bring an end to this age. And then a new age begins. But those who haven't believed and aren't following him will live an eternity that is separated from Christ in the next age, the eternal age. Those who put their faith and trust in Christ will live with him for eternity in heaven. Those who don't will eternally be separated from him in a place that wasn't created for you and I. It's hell. And I think that that really should spark some urgency in all of us in one way or another. For those of us or for those in this room or those listening to this message out on our podcast who have never put his or her faith and trust in Christ, it ought to be like an alarm for you. It ought to catch your attention. It ought to put some urgency to this idea. And it's not just an idea, but the reality that this age will come to an end. And it's easy to help people who are my age and older see that there is an end to life. It's harder to make young people realize that there is an end to life. But there is an end to life. It's not just 90-year-old people who are buried every day. People of all ages are buried every single day. We all have a birth date. We all have a death date. And the scriptures tell us that it's appointed unto every man to die the first death. But the second death, the eternal death, that's up to you. And you don't have to face the eternal death if you'll face it with Christ if you'll trust him, if you'll believe in the new deal, the new agreement where he died for your sins, for my sins on the cross, three days later, he rose from the grave. If you'll believe that and follow him. Then you'll live with him for an eternity. 
If not, you'll be eternally separated from him. Before we have the Lord's Supper together, I want to do two things. First, I want to pray with you. And if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I beg you to give your life to him now. Believe and follow. Believe and follow. Here's the other thing I want to ask you to do. Since this is a simple meal, and I know that in in many churches, when they have this meal, including us most of the time, it's leaders in the church, deacons or priests who come forward and offer out the elements. I just want believers. You don't have to be a deacon, an elder, or a leader in the church. I just want believers to come forward and help me to offer these up. I need eight. And so you be thinking about that because after I pray, I'm going to ask for volunteers. If I don't get volunteers, then I'll just pick some people. (laughs) Have you trusted Jesus? If not, trust him now. Let's pray together. If you've never trusted Jesus, just say, Jesus, right now, in the best way I know how, I give you my life. I'm believing in you today. And you might just have to be honest and say, I don't know a lot about you. But I've heard enough today to know that I need forgiveness of my sins. I've heard enough today to know that you died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And so I'm trusting that and I'm following you. So Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit to begin following you today and for the rest of my life, learning about you and what it means really to follow you. And now just say, Jesus, thank you for loving me and saving me. And now let's have a moment still in prayer where we just reflect on Jesus. For those of us who are believers, maybe you have unconfessed sin in your life. Maybe it's been a while since you've talked to the Lord in prayer. Maybe in your own way, you would just say something to him right now like this, Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Maybe you would say, Jesus, there's a a staleness about our relationship that has everything to do with me. It's not that you've walked away, it's that I've walked away or I've neglected you. I've neglected our relationship together. And so I know you're there but I just need fresh faith this morning. So just say, Jesus, in the best way I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Give me fresh faith this morning. Jesus, it's in your great name that we pray. Amen. So do I have eight volunteers? 
If I do, just come forward. If you'll just stand right down at the front. I, I want to explain just how we receive communion, okay? I wanted it to reflect today that it's a simple meal. And so that's why I'm asking for just believers to come forward to help me hand out these elements. But the way we receive communion is we just have an open communion table. I didn't grow up like this in a Baptist church. And since you guys are standing in front of me, maybe I'm shorty, I need to stand up here so you can. I didn't grow up receiving communion this way. We had closed communion. It was closed to people who were only believers and only members of our church. Maybe you grew up in similar faith traditions. Well, I understand the arguments for that. I understand those, but we don't police the table. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that if you, if you receive or if you eat and drink the elements in an unworthy manner, you are guilty Let's see, how does he say it exactly? You're guilty of sin and you'll pay an eternal price for it. He, he offers hell for that. Well, here, here's the thing. If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, you're already condemned. And so I still think it's a powerful thing if a person's here and they're not a believer to hold the bread and the blood or what represents the life, the body, and the blood of Jesus, to hold it in your hands to see this great object lesson and be reminded that this body and this blood, it was broken, spilled out, and offered up for the forgiveness of your sins. So you have to police yourselves. It's up to you. These folks are going to hand out the elements. Once you receive them, if you'll just hold them, I'll bless them and we'll eat and drink together.
guys. Thank you. So Jesus and his disciples, when they met together again to celebrate the Passover feast, today, because of that night, that last Passover meal that the disciples shared with Jesus, we call it the Lord's Supper. Jesus took bread before their meal and he broke it and he said, from now on, this bread is going to have new significance. And then after they ate, he held a cup of wine and he said, from this day going forward, this wine is going to have a brand new meaning. And let me tell you something, the disciples were scratching their heads going, we don't understand this. Uh, And they wouldn't understand it until after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. They didn't know exactly what Jesus is is talking about. And and Jesus is off script. There's a script. These guys had grown up going to the temple. They knew what Passover was. And now Jesus is breaking that script. And so now there's not a Passover lamb. He's the sacrifice. And they're not talking about Moses anymore. And now Jesus is is the Passover lamb and also God. They're they're not sure what to make of it. After the fact, you and I do know. But Jesus said to his disciples, like he says to us, this is my body and my blood. It's been offered up for the forgiveness of your sins. God bless you now as you eat and drink. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for a few moments at the beginning of a new year to think about and remember what you've done for us. Lord, there's the hope of a new year because of Jesus. And without him, there wouldn't be a hope, not for a new millennium, not a new decade, not a new day. But because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice made, again, we have hope. We have hope for this new year. those of us who have committed to follow you as our Lord and our Savior. Let us be more committed than ever. Committed in the same way that Jesus was committed to us. That we'll offer our lives realizing that that's not likely going to cost us our life literally, not in a physical way not where we are worried about literally dying, but Lord, help us to die to ourselves, to our own wants and needs, and to give our lives completely to you in service to others. And then Lord, let us experience what you promise in the scriptures that 
and giving our lives away, we'll find it. In meeting other people's needs, we'll find meaning for our own lives. And in meeting the needs of other people, you'll bless us and meet our needs. Jesus, we pray in your great name. And those who agreed said, amen. God bless you. Happy New Year.